episode 43, I believe, the Story Mindsets podcast. Wow. We, have, we have guest number 41 or 40. Um, we know this guy through Earl, who is, uh, well, you know, the co-host here, and Earl is part of Techstars, and Kobina happens to be part of Techstars as well. Uh, heard a number of great things, such as, you know, Wharton MBA and... What else is something cool about Kobina? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean Kobina has been this amazing fintech, uh, you know, founder, right? And uh, we we want to learn uh, kind of a lot from him. And uh, you know, we also went to Cornell, uh, you know, uh, in, in obviously different years, but uh, always nice to have a co alumni in, in in the in the podcast. But uh, I think you know, Kobina and I just kind of connected a lot and talking about financial uh, access, right, in general, and how technology can really provide. Uh, you know, more people, uh, you know, uh, financial access. So that's why I'm, I'm really wild, Kobina, in our, in our show. So I guess, Kobina, thanks for, you know, coming out, uh, you know, to, to our show here. Thank, thank, thank you. And, uh, you know, it's great to be with both of you guys. You know, Dan, look forward to getting to know a little bit more about yeah. you, Earl. You know, it's great, great to reconnect and, uh, you know, um, you know, double, double alumnus, right? Both Cornell and, uh, and uh, tech stars. In fact, I'm in Ithaca, New York, right now because I just did a talk at uh, Cornell last week. So, oh wow! Staying, so I guess you're prepped up already for this podcast. You did an extra. Yeah. Where, yeah. where are you from, Kobe? Just, just, just out of curiosity. Sure. So I was born in Canada. My family's from Ghana, West Africa, um, but I was primarily raised in a small town of Ithaca, New York. No way! Oh, wow. oh, oh. so you were you're, yeah. literally were 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 raised near near Cornell. I was I literally down the hill from uh, Ithaca when I was an undergrad. Uh, my mom would happen to do her morning walk right by my my freshman dorm. It just happened to be on her you know new route. <laughs> so yeah, it was very very it was very close. <laughs> Man, I've got yeah, to check that wow. out. That sounds awesome. So you're, you're you're the founder and CEO currently of Cover, right? You know, it's, I, I just reading about it and hearing about how you know somebody in the gig economy can receive fifteen hundred dollars. You know, kind of no question, no credit score. I mean, no credit check needed. I think that's pretty important in the world. Um, just seeing how big the gig economy is, and we'd love to talk about more of the market in in the, um, as the show goes on. But uh, you know, from your perspective, what is cover and you know how do you explain the company in your words sure so um cover is an online financial provider customized for gig economy workers such as uber drivers or doordash delivery personnel our goal is ultimately to provide financial services that help gig workers optimize their earning potential and we've started to do that with our first product um a cash advance custom for this demographic, providing them, as you said, with up to $1,500 in less than 24 hours to take care of services such as um, small emergencies, whether that be like a car fix, or help them help smooth out the volatility within their daily earnings. But ultimately, we look to build a suite of services that will help them achieve you know, their highest earning potential. Well, I guess, Kobina, like, what was the was the inspiration of this, right? Like, I mean, because uh, it's it's always uh, interesting to see what 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 really was the spark. Because you could work with any. I mean, you're probably you know one of the smartest people, right? With with even with Wharton MBA. Like, what wh- why this problem that you wanted to solve versus others? Right? 
<laughs> well, I don't know about your, your smart comment, but in terms of, uh, you know, what drives me, I would say that, um, you know, I've always been kind of, uh, I don't want to say the odd one out, but kind of somebody who's been a minority, like, you know, in the, you know, whether it was in Canada, you know, we were you know, one of the few Ghanaian families out there, you know, in the U.S., you know, we're one of the, you know, few uh, African families in Ithaca, New York. And so um, I've always been, you know, interested in, you know, serving the needs of underserved yet high value parts of society um, and started to do that with my first product, which was a credit card customized for international uh, citizens without U.S. credit histories. That was my first um, startup, learned a lot from that. And then um, in this venture, um, one of my uh, previous investors um, had uh, happens to be one of the largest auto finance providers for Uber drivers in Mexico City and wanted to see if I could offer that type of service in the States, specifically in New York. Um, and when offering that in New York, uh, quickly found that, you know, there really wasn't uh, uh, the same type of demand to own a car or be in an auto loan that was two to three years long, given that in the gig, really one of the biggest parts of that is the flexibility. Um, but um, when we would deploy as much as $20,000 to actually purchase the car, get it registered and all that for these drivers, we found that oftentimes they had a hard time uh, putting down the $500 down payment that we required. So that's where we saw that really there was a huge liquidity issue uh, that this demographic had. And so just as a kind of, you know, test, I took a thousand dollars of my own money and gave a hundred dollars to 10 drivers to see if that money would come back. Uh, it did, um, they were thankful for it. And that was kind of the genesis uh, for Converse first product. No, that's seriously awesome. I think, uh, you know, the gig economy has just, it grows every year, I think, right? Um, and, you know, yeah. with COVID and national pandemic emergency, like the need for cash is extra, you know, essential. And then, you know, reading about how a lot of, or maybe close to half of Americans can't come up with a thousand bucks, um, you know, of savings if they needed something. But, I mean, that's not that seriously an issue, right? thousand dollars. It's actually $400. That's $400. 40%. Oh, wow. Of America, that couldn't... Um, be able to manage that unexpected cash expense if, 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 if required. And with regards to the gig economy, it's one of the fastest growing sub segments of the U.S. labor market. Um, and uh, currently about 36% of U.S. population, I should say working population, yeah. participates in some form of gig. Um, and I would say, honestly, gig is really just a sexy uh, term <laughs> or something that's been happening for a long time, which is independent contractor work. So um, that is a large demographic currently representing over 50 plus million um, participants in the U.S. day. And more and more um, people are participating in, in different forms of it. I, I have to ask you, what do you say is like the real what pushes the need for somebody to be in the, you know, the independent contractor work, work lifestyle, like, is it, you know, that the uh, economy is in inflation is just reducing the value of the dollar? Where do you see like the, the growth in terms of the, the user? I mean, the potential users and the market coming from since uh, it's, it's kind of hard to realize, right? From your research and, and of course, like your knowledge. Yeah. So what I would say is that I think that, uh, in recent years, and it has been accelerated 
uh, by the uh, COVID experience or COVID pandemic experience that uh, people have started to assign a higher utility to flexibility with their own time. So, um, you know, it, over the last maybe 10 years, you know, people have started to become more open to a different type of work environment where nine to five is not the only option, which allows people to take greater, um, yeah, greater control of their own, own time to spend with family. And actually just yesterday I was speaking with a gig worker who was telling me about an experience where she had an upcoming bill and by being in the gig economy, she was empowered to earn more money that, you know, or put in more hours to earn more money to satisfy that, that upcoming bill that she had kind of being her own boss as a lot of these gig platforms like to use, but really having greater control over her own destiny, so to speak, versus if you're in a kind of fixed, you know, we're giving you 30 hours this week or 40 hours this week. There's really nothing that, you know, a person in that instance can do to further enhance their earnings. And so I think that's, that's something um, that is, is, is big. Right. I think I would chime in too. And I, I probably have to also say that the job market has been extra difficult. Right. And people are just like, if you can't, you couldn't get a job within X amount of time, then need some money. Right. So it's turned to the, to the gig lifestyle, which is um, helpful and, and, just a complete different beast. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I think that there are a lot of kind of traditional um, companies that are starting to have really difficult time um, hiring uh, kind of people who typically work for hourly wages because there are now these options. And you know, if you're a gig worker or somebody who's open to that and is thinking I can make just as much or nearly as much money yeah, sure. doing gig work as I can doing an hourly work, many people, uh, you know, tend to move, or I shouldn't say tend to move, but have in an increasing amount move towards um, that that option. For, for sure. Cool. So I guess, Kobe, quick, quick question here. Like, among all the industries, what gravitated you into fintech? Um, why not? I mean, I, I saw that you, you know, did some hospitality management work in undergrad, which obviously is the best school in the world, which is Cornell. Um, <laughs> why not go through that? Let's say do you know travel tech or others? Like, wh- why fintech? Like, what motivated you to go this direction versus others? Um, so I did go to the hotel school, learned a great amount from that um, institution, and uh, when I went there, I actually went in there wanting to be like you know aspiring to maybe be like one day a hotel manager or something like that um but as i experienced and as many students experience um you start to learn about the world of like real estate development real estate finance things of that nature and so that was actually more of my focus uh when i left uh, school went from there worked in transaction services for ernst young um for uh, a few years and then from there went to Wells Fargo where I worked in especially lending practice. And so that was kind of my first experience um, working in um, at, with debt, um, usually at a much larger scale. The mandate was to look at deals that were about $20 million or greater. And, you know, the average deal that we probably looked at was somewhere in the 50 to $75 million range. Um, so that is kind of what I guess, guided me towards my foray into finance um but um again as i had said before um there was limited diversity in the people who we engaged with um and there 
were a lot of deals that came across my desk that I wasn't even allowed to really look at because they were below um, $20 million and they were representative of kind of a more ethnically diverse group yeah, sure. of um, sponsors. And so that is kind of why I want to go to business school, see if I could learn fr- the framework of entrepreneurship or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know, get, get that badge and then see if <laughs> I can apply that to, to um, the industry. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. I mean, we love to even hear about your experience at Wharton. It's definitely one of the best, you know, MBA schools. But one more thing I forgot to ask you was how does a cover, you know, get, get their own cover and how do they make the revenue back from, a, you it. know, giving the 1500 to an mm-hmm. independent contractor? Where does a, do they pay interest or like what's the business model if you can yeah. tell us a little? Yeah. Sure. So what we do um, with the first product is we effectively factor receivables. So we basically look at what the driver, let's say driver as an example, has been earning um, in the last several months, and then uh, look at uh, other metrics, uh, traditional and non-traditional factors, and then use that to basically forecast how much do we think this person is going to earn in the next couple of months. weeks slash months and then based on that we basically say i'm willing to purchase x percent of your future revenue let's say 10 percent of your future revenue um at a discount and so that discount represents our service fee and that is uh the income that we make uh jumping into you know the, the the conversation we had a little bit earlier about business school and you wanting to get a not only a badge, but just learn entrepreneurship from that angle. What do you say that you learned um, as a student and and your own experience in recent times about, or maybe just as a student at Wharton, what did you learn about entrepreneurship that maybe you weren't able to learn it without doing it? Or how do you, you know? Um, yeah, well, yeah what, I would, what I would say is, um, I think Wharton is a you know great institution Obviously, there's a lot of academic rigor that um, they provide, and I think that um, you know some of the courses, some of the coursework that um, um, was taught there was helpful. But I would honestly say that I mean, which is no surprise. I think that the <laughs> biggest value there was you know maybe relationship building, and also being able to use that, especially as a minority entrepreneur, as a measure of a validation that, you know, I am smart enough to, you know, be able to, um, you know, pursue uh, th- this type of endeavor. So I know that, you know, just as you had stated when I'm starting this podcast, a lot of people will kind of go through my credentials and it seems as though that's kind of what um, a lot of uh, people would see, right? Like, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, I guess like when, um a potential investor might be looking at a deck. They will validate me by saying, okay, he went to Cornell, he went to Ward, he was top 10%, whatever. Um, you know, he worked for these Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> he's, 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 you know, I'm willing to have a, a conversation with him, which, you know, I think especially with less than, I think it's, it's less than 3% of, you know, VC dollars going towards minority entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, yeah, and, was, and even it, le- yeah. less going towards uh, female minority entrepreneurs. Um, you know, we ha- we have to do these things to kind of stand out and you know try to be <laughs> try to make it into that one percent. That's a good point. I mean, you know, maybe shifting gears a little bit. 
Yeah, Kobe. Um, tell us more about like, you know, a time I guess in your early life that you you really felt that you were kind of an entrepreneurial uh, person, right? Like, did you discover I guess that you were, you know, a, a startup founder, right? Because a lot of times we realize that you know this is more of a mindset, right? More than even the entrain. Sometimes you get exposed to things early on in your life. So I don't know if you had a, a moment where you realized that, oh, wow, actually I might, might, might have this inside of me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, again, I think that, you know, over time terminologies change. I mean, in my mind, I, I think that I've, I've, in a positive sense, um, have been around people who I consider hustlers or um, people who grind. So example, yeah. <laughs> like my, my, my grandmother happened to um, open like one of the first daycare centers in, um, in Ghana, West Africa, that was actually visited by like the queen of England. And, you know, she by herself raised, I believe, uh, six plus children and, you know, put a lot of oh, effort in and so that's that type yeah. of gr grit um, translated into my mom who um, opened one of the first day spas in Ithaca, New York. And, uh, you know, while I was there, when I, while I was young, she would have me um, go with her to like spa shows. And when she was like identifying the location for her, pro uh, her place or thinking of the name or creating the LLC or, you know, all of these type of things, I got to be around that. And, um, you know, I'm sure as like many uh, kids in the States, uh, I think when I was around 13 or something like that, I wanted some type of cool clothes. I don't know, like a fugu jacket or something. And she was like, it doesn't sound like you want a jacket. It sounds like you want a job. And she got me <laughs> like, a, a lawnmower, um, a riding mower. And I started, you know, uh, mowing, you know, neighbor's lawns. And that was like the first time that I got the, uh, I don't know, um, post my time in, um, in, uh, at Wells that it kind of was more formally transitioned into, uh, you know, being deemed or termed as uh, entrepreneurship, but yeah. Oh, that's I'd awesome. It's a part of, part, of, part of my family's DNA. DNA, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the, the hustle. <laughs> oh. I, th I, th I think... That's, that's pretty awesome. I think uh, is able to have an entrepreneurial family or like instances where they can see something firsthand and just, you know, think down the line if they're doing it, then that kind of inspires me to do it. Um, uh, I mean, another thing that comes to mind is, uh, do you have any role models, I guess, outside of family or, you know, personal like figures that you think give you inspiration to be a founder and, and, inspired by i would say a lot of the people um that are in my community so whether that be people like my aunt who happens to own um winglow textiles in ghana she owns like a very nice clothing company and she's she's had it for many years and she's kind of have that evolve over over time you know i have a, a mentor at uh, wells fargo you know who inspires me in terms of you know his, his grit and determination um to again um, uplift kind of underserved or kind of, uh, you know, minority associates, you know, under his tutelage is he's honestly one of the people who kind of compelled me to, you know, think about going to business school and even think that I was worthy of going to a top business school. So somebody like that. And then I have friends like, um, yeah. 
a founder uh, named Alex White who um, created a company called Next Big Sound. We were we were childhood friends. We still remain friends today. He um, sold his company to um, Pandora. Pandora was then acquired by oh, XM cool. Radio, and so yeah. kind of seeing that that growth and seeing the, the challenges and lessons he's learned along the way, you know, have been really um, inspiring. And then I have a friend um, named uh, Nick Flanders, who is also an entrepreneur in the Bay Area, um, who um, is working on an interesting technology, uh, carbon sure, capture sure. technology uh, called Opus 12. And he, you know, watching him he's always been an incredible storyteller and he's going after a, a massive moonshot and just seeing kind of how they've gone from doing something that wasn't particularly in vogue to right now everybody's trying to knock down his door from nasa to you oh, know, wow. mercedes to others wow. uh, given that people are now looking to figure out how do we as an organization make a bigger um, stand in our um, commitment to lowering carbon emissions right and so um you know seeing him be such a massive yeah, yeah, yeah. in industry um and 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 really go after this kind of moonshot idea i think are the types of things that um you know motivate me also seeing seeing my boy you know earl and and seeing what he's doing in you know indonesia <laughs> and, and things of that nature is 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 pretty pretty awesome honestly so you yeah know, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm fortunate. No, thank you. No, definitely. And we all inspire each other, uh, right? As as investors and entrepreneurs. Um, re really, you know, maybe switching gears a little bit to kind of our last portion here on, you know, three three questions, right? Uh, so I'll ask the first two questions, and Dan always wraps it up. But my first two questions for you is, um, if you had to summarize your startup mindset in one to two lines, what would that be? And my second question after that, which I'll prompt you again, is if you had to give advice to your 20-year-old self, what advice would it be? Hmm. Um, <laughs> so what is my startup mindset? Um, I would say my startup mindset is, uh, you know, working with purpose, grit determination and going after a goal or attaining that goal by any means necessary and you know trying to live within that so that's that's something that i try to i'm, I'm a bit uh sometimes risk averse um and i have to oftentimes push myself to say you know we we got to go get it any means necessary you know so as tom brady but, would say no, no risk it don't no risk it no biscuit <laughs> you know no risk it no biscuit i, I, I agree that. and he and he's the goat right so. that, that's right that's right i love that uh, i mean then, then my next question yeah i mean if i had to go back when you're 20 years old and you had to meet your own self when you're 20 mm. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, you know, Cobina? I don't know if you were in Cornell at the time, but, you know, your college-age yeah. college Cobina, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think I would think about uh, two things. One, I would say, is uh, learn to enjoy the moment more, or, like, 
enjoy and be in the moment um, just because, you know, I'm not sure what your guys' upraisings was like, but, you know, my family education and, you know, getting a good job and everything has always been important, which I think is very important. But I think that um, oftentimes I was just like, I got to, you know, keep my head down now because of something that's going to come in the future. I keep my head down now. Even now I'm kind of in, in that mode, whereas, you know, I think I've learned uh, time is one of the most valuable resources that we have more so than money, more so than other things. And so um, as a young person, I would uh, focus on that. And I probably would also just think about, um, you know, <clears throat> trying to develop a, a, a clear plan as to like, what, what is it that you you want to do? So, I mean, I've been very fortunate to kind of go to some good institutions and have things kind of uh, come together, but just, you know, again, kind of relating to time, make sure that you have some type of plan, make sure you have good people around you. I've, I've been blessed to have good people around me, but, you know, being even more intentional, I think could be, could be helpful. Awesome. No, that's, that's really wise. Um, Dan, uh, kind of final, final question here. Kobina just uh, had to say that this has been an op- awesome conversation. We learned a lot about not only you, but the, the company you do, you're running and, and uh, everything that has been going on. And it's just pretty awesome. The last part of the show is we, we typically say if you have any lasting words or where can our audience uh, uh, find cover and, and get to know um, that, that part of you as well. In terms of cover, you can find us at uh, online at www.getcover.com. Um, you know, we are committed to serving the needs of this growing, um, you know, underserved demographic of gig workers. Again, gig ranges from, you know, right now we're focusing on the mobility space. So that's like delivering and drivers. But, you know, our ambition is to expand far beyond that. Um, and, and no, I'm just so thankful to have this opportunity um, to be with you guys uh, today. And, you know, um, I'm very open to having discussions with anybody else who's excited about um, this demographic and, and serving that need. Are you guys uh, just everywhere in the U.S. or only the East Coast or is it? Yep. Is so it? we are. We recently just expanded to uh, 49 states, all except California. Wow. Except California. California. Except California. <laughs> California. Shout out to the California regulators. <laughs> not, it's not probably their fault, huh? <laughs> entering that market just yet, but um, no, um, that's kind of where where we are now, and you know, we're we're starting to learn about you know the nuances of different geographies in the states, and so that's kind of where we are today. That's so cool. Yeah, I love to hear that. That's awesome. Um, that does it for episode. 43 or 42 and and uh, another all-star guest on the show so thank you guys for listening